Inside the IC is sponsored by Microsoft Federal, the choice for classified missions. Welcome to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal. Now your host, Justin Doubleday. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this special episode of Inside the IC. I'm joined today by my colleague, Jory Heckman, host of All About Data. Hey, Jory. Hey, Justin. Thanks for uh, having me join. Yeah, and, and today we're bringing you our joint interview with Nancy Morgan, who just retired as the intelligence community's chief data officer. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Justin and Jory. Really looking to the conversation, and thanks for having me involved with both of your programs. Absolutely. It's always good to do a crossover episode here. I think our first uh, on FNN, so you can chalk that up for us, Jory. But uh, Nancy, I'd love if you could just start out by kind of describing what you've been focused on in the last couple of years as the IC's CDO. What, what's your day in and day out and what are your big challenges that you've been trying to tackle? Sure. It's really been an honor to lead the U.S. intelligence community chief data officers in transforming how we manage the volume and variety of information and data we collect and produce every day and more of it coming our way every minute. We've made some great strides in the past few years. A couple of big areas of focus, we are in the throes of rewriting our IC data strategy. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. We're modernizing our data management practices. We started out with some nascent ideas and really as a community are maturing to sort of full data lifecycle management. And then we've been developing and delivering what we call a suite of enterprise class data services to help everyone manage their data throughout its life cycle and throughout the intelligence life cycle. So it's really all about treating our data as a valuable IC asset and how we can make that data more discoverable, accessible, usable at the speed of mission for our entire workforce. So what drives some of what makes it a little challenging in this space is our national security and intelligence threat landscape is more complex than ever before. I think anyone who's been reading headline news sees that. And so it's really critical that we make data interoperability a a critical foundation to helping us achieve intelligence and decision advantage. We actually agreed upon a common term for data interoperability in the community. And so uh, we think we state that as the ability of systems and services that create, exchange, and consume data to have clear shared expectations, think conventions, standards, and policy for the content, context, and meaning of that data across varying platforms and security domains. So your audience should be aware of this in the federal space, but we operate on a lot of different networks. We operate at the unclassified level all the way to the top secret and most compartmented levels. So it's really important that we figure out how we move that data seamlessly around the world at speed and at scale. So in response to clear direction from the White House and DNI leadership, I've also spent a lot of time cultivating and leveraging partnerships across the intelligence community, with our good partners at the Department of Defense, with our allies, and with our federal, state, local, and tribal groups, and with an increasing array of private sector partners. And I think that's one of the things that I've seen shift a bit over the three years I've been in this job, is it's not just about sharing data within the intelligence community, but really improving that two-way sharing of information with those external partners as well. And that's really been an exciting part and a challenging part of the job. As a CDO council, we have a lot of important efforts underway. I'm really energized about the work we're doing to initiate stronger data acumen efforts across the IC. So I think if you've been chatting with CIOs, you've been hearing about 
digital acumen and digital literacy, but we need to also do this in the data space. And frankly, on behalf of my CISO colleagues, also increase cyber acumen. So it's really a triple threat there. But we need to be able to recruit, develop, and retain that data savvy workforce, grow our data skills, and make more data-driven decisions at every level of the organization. That's what we need to do to be effective as an intelligence enterprise. I think that growing data acumen at every level of the organization is really a critical success factor on our journey to become a more data-centric intelligence enterprise, not just a system-centric, but really pivoting to a more data-centric enterprise. And it's, as I said, it's more than that. We really need to increase our digital data and cyber acumen and grow that cybersecurity awareness so we are responsible stewards of that information and responsible sharing and safeguarding of that information. So to succeed as a CDO, you really have to have strong partnerships. I can talk about high on my list are, as I said, those CIOs and that CISOs. Um, we start to call that the digital C-suite. Uh, one of my fellow agencies coined that term, but we, we like that term. But equally with experts in privacy and civil liberty and legal and policy experts. And there's even more partners than that, but that's just some of the core partnerships that really make this possible. That's a great overview of what you've been doing and the challenges that, that you face and, and some of the opportunities. And, and on a personal note, I think you're coming to the end of your time at, at Odie and I. Can you, can you share that little bit of news? You are. Us? I am very close to the end of my time. You are actually my swan song interview, in fact, because my last day as the ICCDO is actually tomorrow. So it's really been a fascinating journey and experience. I'm a longtime CIA officer on joint duty to the ODNI, so it's really been a great capstone to my intelligence career. But I need to take some time to uh, take care of some family members and spend some time with a son who's graduating from college and launching his professional career. So some personal time will be the focus for the next few months before I figure out my next chapter. Okay, well, I'm Glad that we're able to get the exit interview here right now. Let's unpack a little bit more, if we can, the enterprise data strategy uh, and that refresh that you're describing for the years to come here. Understandably, the intelligence community is very diverse. There's a lot of moving pieces <laughs> to it. What are some of the common elements or some of the common goals that you're thinking of as that new strategy is coming into focus here? Sure. That's something we've been working on together as a CDO council. One of the things that I'm really proud to do is chair that IC CDO council. We have the CDOs from each of the 18 elements of the IC, and we really work as a collective on these activities and this artifact. So we've made some significant improvements to what we've been doing with data lifecycle management since the first IC data strategy was published in 2017. We feel we've done a lot of work to enhance sharing and safeguarding, but there's still more to do. For us, sharing and safeguarding is not an either or proposition. It's absolutely an and. We have to increase sharing and we have to increase that safeguarding posture. So that helps us get the right data to the right people. And now we like to say, and to the right machines at the right time and in the right place. But as I said, coming into this, we're collecting and producing more information than ever before. The IC is launching more collection capabilities than ever before at astounding volumes, certainly since I began my career 30 plus years ago in the government. It's just astounding how much information we're gathering. So it creates a data volume challenge. But more accurately, I, we like to call it in the CDO realm, the five Bs of data. The volume and the variety of data, certainly. The velocity at which that data is coming at us but also the veracity and the validity. That's really important to us in the community that we look at all of those dimensions of data. 
And there are also simply just not enough humans to keep up with the volume. So our constant challenge is finding those innovative ways to collect, organize, and process this information at the speed of mission throughout all phases of the intelligence lifecycle. And so what we're seeing is how do we think about data management in everything we do in the intelligence community, both on the mission side and the business side. We have large amounts of data, but that data may reside in individual systems or silos that might be organized by mission or classification or even based on you know, aging systems that have some constraints on how we can store and process the data. So we're focused on identifying the ways that technology can perform the more cumbersome data-related tasks. So to free up some of our officers to produce those higher order tasks and producing those keen insights and the hard analysis that we spend time on, we've got to find ways to leverage automation to do more of that data preparation. This is not to eliminate humans, and we'll talk more about that. It's to augment our humans and the exciting work they do. We cannot afford to fail to keep pace with those five Bs of data we collect and the ability to address the veracity and the validity of that data. That's part of our value add as an intelligence community. So right now, as a CDO council, we've been focusing on how do we get the IC ready in that future-ready stance with the ability to respond to evolving needs, threats, and challenges in a more dynamic way. So this dovetails with our IC Information Technology Enterprise or iSight strategy that's being developed by our IC CIO, Adele Merritt, and our fellow IC CIO council team to ensure that the IC's information technology environments will enhance the critical data management capabilities to achieve our goals. So Adele and her team and I, we like to call that the digital foundation that we're building on. We've been on that journey for a couple of years. I've been on that journey wearing multiple hats in my career all along the way. Really excited to see the power of those investments in networks, in cloud technologies, in access control services, and so on, build that robust digital foundation. But we need to take it further up the stack for data. That's what we're all about as a CDO council. So as part of the process to develop that new strategy, we conducted interviews with data leaders and senior stakeholders from across the IC. And we've come up with a, a working statement for our vision is data powering intelligence and decision advantage. And our mission is really about enabling that secure discovery, access, integration, and use of that IC data at mission speed. So as, as we worked through these conversations, worked through the rich insights, we came up with four primary goal areas. First, no surprise, based on what I said earlier, about data sharing and safeguarding. How do we streamline our sharing and safeguarding across multiple networks, mission areas, with multiple partners? How do we simplify and automate some of our processes and procedures and build in some of that security we talked about? It's about data usability enhancing that data-driven decision-making by providing timely, high-quality, understandable, and trusted data. Then one of my favorite areas to talk about is that data-savvy workforce. So how do we increase the data acumen and tradecraft by not only attracting, but developing, growing, and resourcing that data-savvy workforce? So not just the talent we re recruit, but the workforce we already have. How do we give people a chance to develop new skills and make them even more powerful and valuable to the community? And then I think we're really exciting part for the CDOs is really talking about the future of data. How do we integrate and evolve multidisciplinary approaches that solve the IC's most challenging and emerging data issues? And we find new data challenges sort of every day and in every domain area. How can we leverage the best of what we're doing across one part of the IC to the broader IC? 
how can we have more interoperability between the IC and the Department of Defense with our other federal agency partners? In all of these dimensions, we've got lots of things to tackle going forward. So these goals will then translate down to a series of objectives that really advance our efforts to improve data interoperability and achieve decision advantage. And then we'll work on an implementation plan and defining metrics. We're not quite there yet on defining the metrics. And I think that's something we also talk about in the federal CDO space is how we'll measure success in terms of data. It's not just getting data more out there, but making data available and accessible in the most useful ways. And that's Nancy Morgan, who just retired as the intelligence community's chief data officer. We're going to take a short break, but we'll pick up the conversation when we come back. I'm Justin Doubleday, and you're listening to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. With the broadest range of breakthrough technology solutions, Microsoft Azure for Government is the choice for classified missions. Built for government agencies and their partners, unlock insights, build new capabilities, and empower collaboration in secret and top-secret environments. Microsoft Azure is built for national security missions. Combining cloud-native capability with classified networks, hybrid and multi-cloud, to create a developer-friendly platform that is ready anywhere and secure everywhere. Visit MicrosoftFederal.com. That's MicrosoftFederal.com. Welcome back to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. You're listening to an interview with Nancy Morgan, who just retired as the IC's Chief Data Officer. And Nancy, one of the things that we were really excited to talk about is the workforce. And I was wondering if you could discuss the balance you're trying to strike between, you know, recruiting data scientists and other people with data skills and then retraining or upskilling the existing workforce that you already have. Absolutely. This is, this is really an area that I have, have a really strong passion for and really believe in. There's really fierce competition for talent. I'm pretty sure based on who you engage with in the federal government space, you, you see that among all of us and with the private sector partners. But really competition for the talent with the skills and experience that we need related to data management, big data, artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, all of those skills are in high demand. And then finding this talent that can come into the cleared world or having to bring it in adds an extra layer of challenge and difficulty, certainly taking a little longer than we'd like to get those people in the door. But we also want that more diverse and inclusive workforce. We want that diversity of perspectives and ideas, not just you know, sort of cultural and racial diversity, but that diversity of ideas and that diversity of experience. While we do really exciting and innovative things in the IC, we know that there are also partners around the globe doing really innovative and exciting things. And how can we leverage that expertise from academia, from labs, from private sector partners? And how can we facilitate more two-way flow of people in those spaces? But also, as we think about bringing more automation into the space, we need people who have experience working with automation and applying technology so that we think about how this plays in terms of human and machine-enabled interaction with data. There are some differences, what this means in terms of reducing bias in data and our analytics, all those kinds of more advanced things that we're working on and that our partners are working on. So this is part of our broader IC strategy to really bring in that right, trusted, agile workforce and not just bring in, 
but work on for our existing workforce. So we're recruiting from a broader and more diverse set of academic institutions and private sector partners. We leverage a group of universities and colleges that we call our IC Centers for Academic Excellence across the country that partner with the IC to develop that class of diverse, technically trained, digitally and data savvy intelligence professionals, and also helping us reach out to a broader array of academic institutions than we typically recruited from in the earlier years of my career in the IC. We're also partnering with local schools that are near our various IC campuses. And in some cases, some of the IC elements are adopting schools and creating more formal arrangements and more formal opportunities for the students to have more hands-on experience. Really exciting to see the energy and drive that the students bring into the mix. We've had a long and proud history in the IC of co-ops and paid internships. It's a really strong talent pipeline for us in the community with a high rate of return. Some of my best officers I've worked with started out as co-ops or interns. I've had co-ops and interns on some of my programs over the years, and it's just so energizing to have their ideas and energy. Them coming and asking, why do you do it that way? Or why can't we do it this way? Really excited about what they bring to the table. So even though we may not compete fully on salary, we have really compelling work to do in the IC. So the trick is, how do we set up the conditions for success? What are things we do? Putting in place things like buddy and mentor systems, having that digital foundation in place, creating showcase events where the students can be part of the work and be part of teams. My favorite programs are when we put them directly on project teams, sort of right as they come in, thrust them into actual project teams working on real-world intelligence problems. Now, to be higher order performance and capable, um, you hear my CIO colleagues talk about a DevOps stack. Well, I want to make that a little more advanced. I want that DevSec AI ops stack. I want it all. People who know me want know I want more. We really need that foundation and those foundational capabilities so people come in and focus on their core competencies in the work, not so much setting up the environments. More repeatable processes. That's an area where automation can really help us do it better and, frankly, do it more securely. So a little different dimension, we're pushing the IC to look outside the beltway and outside the skiff. So we call that beyond the beltway and outside the skiff, our sort of secure constructs where possible. How can we leverage more hybrid work? And how can we identify work that we can begin in the unclassified realm and then port that up to the high side? And some of our IC elements are really having success with that. I'll be honest, I think COVID pushed us in that zone. It was an opportunity that COVID provided to really push us to think differently. And look, coming from CI, that is not how I was raised to be able to do work at home and work outside of a skiff. That's just not how we did things. And it's really pushing all of us to be innovative in that space. And you've really seen several of the IC elements move out with some really fast fascinating and great outcomes from that work. A little different dimension, things like competency-based hiring. And I think you interviewed one of the fellow CDOs about they're trying some different things in terms of hiring data scientists through the Federal CDO Council, um, helping us think differently about what are the competencies we look for, what are the skills we look for. So I'm a big fan of hiring for STEM, but I'll also tell you I'm a fan of hiring for STEAM. So it's not just the science, technology, engineering, and management, but that analytic skills, that critical thinking skills, those communication skills make our the kind of officers we want to recruit even more capable in the organization. So we need to invest in individuals who bring STEM skills to the table. But frankly, this is another area we need to invest, invest in our existing workforce and give 
the workforce who has an aptitude for learning about this, opportunities. So you've seen some really interesting steps toward this with some of the agencies who've given people a chance to start some part-time work, part-time coursework. And if they do well in it, then perhaps pivot to doing sort of full-time collegiate work or graduate level work to grow their skills in new areas. There have been activities through the federal CDO council and federal CIO council realm of experimenting with training and leadership programs that give people some diversity of experiences. And one of the lessons learned from that was the capstone projects need to be hands-on and cross-disciplinary. And then how do they show that they've applied what they've learned after they come back into their organization? So I'm a really big fan of blended models of both classroom and online course content, but then hands-on practical experience, applying that work through project teams, getting to be part of events where you show off that work and get those peer reviews and peer feedback. You might see my IT program manager skills coming out underneath the covers here, but even though I'm, I'm a real data person right now, I have a long foundation in the IT side as well. Our most successful intelligence endeavors are because of cross-functional teams. And frankly, in my experience, that we're able to combine information in new and different ways. My best ones are when you have mission and data people together, mission and IT people together, and bring in some of those other roles, those legal and policy experts, the acquisition experts, the security experts. That's really critical to making sure our projects are successful. And without the diversity of backgrounds and experiences, we will not be the most effective intelligence community. We will be less competitive and will not succeed in addressing the challenges we face today. We need that diversity of experience. We need people who have cultural diversity and experience around the world and understand how different people think and operate, different biases that might be showing up in the data and so on. So our most effective teams really have more diversity built into them and the opportunity for people to work outside their comfort zone. Joint duty assignments, broadening experiences, we have different names that we call it, really exciting to push people to serve in an area they haven't served before. I've had the opportunity to do that and pivot in my career. While it's a little bit terrifying when you first make those pivots, it really leads to growth for you and the programs you're part of because you can ask why and come in with a different optic and not come in with preconceived notions about how things should work, but just think through how to make them work in the best possible way. You heard me mention that we want to grow that digital data and cyber acumen at every level of the organization. So really starting to figure out who has an interest or aptitude in learning those new skills. It's really very powerful when our domain experts learn some of the foundational skills for working with technology, working with automation, working with artificial intelligence, machine learning, being paired up with data scientists and data engineers. It's not just the technologists and data professionals, but what are the related positions? So those policy experts, privacy, civil liberties, and legal experts acquisition and contracting experts, finance, our human capital and talent resources, our chief financial officer resources, and so on. You are really seeing a lot of us at the C-suite level talk about we need digital and data acumen in everything that we do. We need to be able to leverage our mission and business data in new ways. So you're really seeing support from our IC CFO or IC human capital officers as key partners in these initiatives. And then because of the focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, you're seeing a champion there. And I'm actually seeing that those areas that the thirst for data and what is our data about our workforce is pushing us to think differently and work on giving people chance to update their skills quickly so that we can leverage data to help us become the ideal workforce that we want to be. And frankly, it's about supervisors, managers, leaders, senior executives at all levels of the organization. Are we asking the right questions about data when it's presented to us? Do we understand the data that's driving our decision-making? And we 
say the words data-driven decision-making, but how are we actually putting that into practice? That's part of what gets me excited in this space. So we so in understanding the potential, why we need to invest and how we can accelerate some experimentation, what are those key questions we ask? You hear that in the CDO council realm, you know, what are the key questions out of the Evidence Act? But we like to think of it in our world as what are those key intelligence questions we need to ask? And it's really also about that culture shift from being not from being risk averse to a risk acceptance framework. And where do we learn to take calculated risks? The data and making data-driven decisions is absolutely part of helping us posture to do that. So that how can we move out more effectively? The public-private partnership, we'll talk a little bit more about that and talk about some of our activities in that area. One of the things that I think is really successful is joint events. So in the IT world, you hear about hackathons, but we in the CDO world like to talk about datathons. Um, now we're starting to talk about AI-a-thons. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite the same way, but different kinds of thons. How we can leverage things for modeling and simulation. We can do a lot with automation to simulate things in, in under certain controlled circumstances and then throw in the chaos monkeys to see what happens when we when the real world, messy real world gets in play. Putting out challenges, putting out research and development seedlings. Our IARPA organization really is very effective at that, at trying things out on a smaller scale and getting some really innovative information from our partners to drive new capabilities. And then it's us investing in our workforce for our extant workforce and our incoming workforce that coaching, mentoring, and sponsorship. I'm pretty sure you hear a lot of leaders talk about this across the federal government, but no kidding, that is really part of what it takes. How can one of my employees or officers come talk to me about what's going on in the real world? They tried something out and maybe it didn't go as expected, I actually think you learn more from the projects that go a little bit sideways. It's actually an interview question I like to ask is tell me about something that went sideways and what did you learn from it? Because when there are successes, you just focus on keep moving forward. But if a project runs into difficulty, you spend time pulling it apart and thinking about what we can do differently. And as someone who's really a zealous supporter of agile methodologies, I really like three questions from agile retrospectives. They're really pretty straightforward. What worked well? What didn't work well, don't spend as much time dwelling on that one. It's really the third question that's most important to me. What will we do differently? What did we learn from this? How will that help us shape things differently? That is something that I have taken with me through multiple, multiple roles that I've played in the community and find it particularly compelling in the data space. So what can we do differently to be more effective? How can we inspect and adapt as we go forward? Some typical things you learn in Agile. I think the other thing that we're doing in thinking about some of our innovation outposts and how can we look around the nation, who's got some of the best and brightest minds in academia, in the private sector, and so on, how can we leverage those organizations and those partnerships regionally? So you're starting to see a lot more work. Yes, we have a little bias toward Washington, D.C. area. We think everything happens here, but there's really a lot of exciting work going on around the nation. How can we leverage that through those various partnerships? Then I mentioned that I'm an active member of the Federal CDO Council. I've been there from just about the beginning. And one of the working groups that we have through that council is a data skills working group that is driving out things like playbooks in the space. We're sharing ideas about content and curriculums that are working, uh, sharing hiring practices and so on to really help us lift all the boats across the federal government. It's one of the things I've been most excited about 
with the federal CDO and the federal CDO council saying that's an area where you can raise whole of government and an area where we can create jobs and opportunities across America by investing in that space. It's also an area where we can leverage our academic and private sector partners in terms of the things that they're doing and some of the great content that they have. So in the IC, we're actually conducting a, a more formal needs assessment right now. So we've been partnering with the Federal Office of Personnel Management to help us conduct some of those initial interviews and that needs assessment. And on the legislation front, the 2022 Act actually mandated legislation to create a new occupation series for data management and not just data science. And I was really proud of helping influence some of the wording on that, because while I absolutely want to have a strong data science cadre, you need the full data management realm. You need data engineers, data managers, data policy experts, in addition to those data scientists and those data engineers. We're working with some really outdated job descriptions in the federal government that well preceded the digital age. It's time for a refresh so that we go after the skills and make it attractive to people to apply for positions in our realm. And again, that's Nancy Morgan, who up until last week was the IC's chief data officer. We're going to take another break, but we'll resume the conversation when we come back. You're listening to Inside the IC on Federal News Network. Thanks for joining me this week for a special episode of All About Data. Joining me today is Justin Doubleday, the host of Inside the IC. And we're going to continue our conversation with the recently retired chief data officer for the intelligence community, Nancy Morgan. Nancy, in the first half of this conversation, we were talking a lot about empowering the IC workforce around data. To tie it all back to the automation piece of things, tell me how automation can empower the data workforce to really be a force multiplier. As you said earlier, there's just not enough humans to keep up with the demand for data these days. That's absolutely true. So one of the things we talk about in the IC is our program that we call Augmenting Intelligence Using Machines, or the AIM initiative. We're working in partnership with John Beeler, our Director for Science and Technology, with our IC Human Capital Program to really look at how do we leverage the power of automation. So there are things we're talking about, you know, skilling the workforce, but it's also about the investments in what do we have to do to prepare our data for the machine-enabled age? How do we optimize data for working with machines? And how do we figure out and prioritize what are the analytics we need to build? What are the data models we need to build? What are the application programming interfaces we need to build? And how can we build once, reuse many in the space? How can we put that DevSec AI ops stack into place at scale to help us do it? And how can we put the right modeling, simulation, and security testing things to put into place? Because it's not just doing this fast. It's about doing it right and doing it at scale. So I think that's an area where we're partnering with a variety of partners. Why do we need to do all this? We've got to accelerate our innovation cycles. We want to improve our business process efficiency. We need to reduce cycle time, leverage those investments we make in research and development, and really about delivering better products and services to our own workforce in the IC, to our partners, and to the public as appropriate. So some of the building blocks, as we said, are those enterprise data services and that digital foundation that we're building. But now it's really working through the AIM program on things like how and where do we manage the models and the analytics? How do we ensure we're working with that authoritative version of that model or analytic? How do we guard against the risks of adversarial AI? In the intelligence community, you always have an eye to what are the adversaries trying to do? We don't want them to tamper with our analytics. And as a CDO, I really worry about the risks of what I would call poisoned or contaminated data. 
What happens if someone is able to inject data that we didn't understand in our realm? That would be really complicated and really dangerous in our realm. You hear about things like supply chain, and April is a National Supply Chain Awareness Month. Well, I like to think about the data supply chain. And what are we doing sure we have a strong data supply chain? What are the procedures we need to put in place for the data and the analytics, not just the IT underpinnings that are the foundation for that? So our AIM vision is about empowering the intelligence mission with AI and an integrative suite of capabilities to enable aspects of the mission to adaptively and appropriately apply technology in a responsible, human-centric manner. We've got to mature our adoption efforts and unify capabilities across core mission processes. There have been some really innovative things been going on in one or more IC elements, but how can we make that available at scale to the entire IC? This is going to require some new technology and collaborative work. As we said, you know, feeding that talent pipeline, but really also a policy and cultural evolution. And frankly, the change management activities that I've been involved with over my career, sometimes the cultural issues are some of the biggest ones here. And where I talked about earlier, getting into more of that risk acceptance and really more of an innovation framework. So as our colleagues develop the AIM strategy and the AIM implementation plan, we're working closely with our DOD colleagues in the new CDAO and the Jake construct in their chief data and AI office on how to map priorities, how to rationalize investments, how to identify critical gaps that need to be filled and who is the best part of the organization or the intelligence enterprise to fill it and how best to align our portfolios to address those common needs so that when one component solves a problem, the entire community benefits and ensures that the U.S. is really postured for global leadership in the AI and machine learning realm. The IC and the federal government as a whole must be willing to maintain that focus on assuring technology advantage in an intensely competitive environment. We have adversaries working really hard, investing heavily, and we need to be able to be as, as equally as competitive, if not dominant. The National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence pointed out in their report that the U.S. government's investment in AI and ML is dwarfed by our investments by both the private sector and our adversaries. So for the IC, it's then really figuring out what are our specific investments that are complementary and that are of unique interest to the IC so that we can hopefully leverage those investments by the broader private sector, federal government, and our DOD partners. Just to, to follow up on that, given the private sector investment, there's also just so much commercial and open source data available now that the IC can take advantage of that wasn't available just you know a decade ago. What is the chief data officer's role, as much as that's a policy question and a culture question, in, <laughs> in terms of taking advantage of that data, being able to bring it in? What can you do to move that ball forward? Well, this is definitely another area where it's a team sport. That volume and variety of that data we're talking about, I think in the open source, commercially available, publicly available area, the volumes are just immense on every front. But what we're really finding is that open source information provides critical context and insights to all of our intelligence missions and frankly, all phases of the intelligence lifecycle. I think back in the day, Open source and intelligence was really focused a little bit more on the analytic processes, but we're finding right now it's just as important and valuable in the collection side and the operation side of what we're doing. And it plays a, a fundamental role in helping us achieve decision advantage. So now we have to have conversations and think about 
when to use open source information, when to use classified resources, when to put our more exquisite collection resources into play, and when do we put our humans in harm's way to collect information. So it really is a bit of a changing landscape there. For me, or the, for as CDOs, there's one aspect where it's like every other data. We have to manage that information regardless of how we obtain it throughout its life cycle and do so effectively. We have to catalog and inventory that data and make that data discoverable to each other and hopefully avoid duplication in terms of doing it and make it discoverable in useful ways. And we have to make it discoverable to our analytics and our tools. So what environment are those tools working in? And I think people think about vacuuming up everything out on the internet and you know bringing it all into what we call the high side, probably not the most effective use of our resources and frankly, not very time effective. So how do we operate on data where it exists? But where do we need to fuse some of that data with our other more exquisite data holdings to provide those rich insights? Where can we talk about data that is truly produced at an open source level and where is it enriched or combined with other sources? But we have to address concerns about what we're allowed to do with the data in terms of accessing the data, query, retention, and dissemination absolutely need to address the privacy and civil liberties concerns, the privacy issues, safeguarding personally identifiable information, understanding that there might be U.S. person's data in some of those data sets. And under some circumstances, we're authorized to handle that data, but how do we do that responsibly and ethically? How do we ensure the data is trustworthy? One of the interesting things is there's some really interesting capabilities, but how do we know how that data was gathered? Was it from an authoritative source? Um, were machines involved and, and the trustworthiness, those kinds of things. So those are areas that we're all working through the challenges and opportunities. And really, in some cases, what are the sourcing standards that go with that? That's one thing that I think is what differentiates the intelligence that we produce as an IC is how do we do the sourcing on that and how do we show that this is a rapidly evolving landscape with OSINT, as we call it, and commercially available and publicly available information. So lots to work through there. So through the CDO Council, we're developing those data lifecycle management practices to ensure data is protected, shared, and handled in our multi-int world, regardless of whether it's OSINT or it's data that we collected or produced as a community. But how do we do this in a multi-cloud world? It's getting a little more complex. There are a lot more clouds out there and in that more diverse set of partners that we're sharing with data than ever before. So a lot to think of there. And so what we're thinking through is what's different about using these data sources, what's the metadata and the attributes about the data, so to document and capture and how we obtained the information uh, for the data geeks on the line, the provenance and lineage of the information, as I said, what, we, what we're allowed to do with that information, the privacy and U.S. persons data handling implications, how long we can retain it, What's the time frame of that information? Is that information current or is it data? That might be really important if we're going to make decisions based on that data. We need to know the time frame of that information. We need attributes about the people who will use the data. So just like all of our other data sources, it's tag the people, tag the data, tag the machines. It's not really a new concept, but just more new players in the mix that have to be part of that data ecosystem. So we need to accelerate our efforts to get to true digital policy management and have all of these services work at the speed of mission. So this is where we're partnering with several elements across the IC to leverage some of the development work they're doing and then provide those as enterprise class capabilities across the community.
One thing we talk about, and when we say tag the people, tag the data, tag the machines, we also have to think about the access control capabilities or what we in the geek world call the identity credential and access management or ICAM work, working in close partnerships with our CIO colleagues and our CISO colleagues to really make sure we get tag the people, tag the data right so that we can really implement that digital policy management and things like attribute-based access control. We have to optimize the infrastructure environments for the onslaught of the volume coming our very way. So making sure we have that robust network capacity, that robust bandwidth capacity around the world, the robust cloud and hosting environments that we need. And I think the hardest part for me is the legal and policy frameworks are not evolving as quickly as the technology is evolving. And so we have to find ways collectively to do this faster. So we're having conversations with our policy experts, our legal experts, our civil liberties and privacy experts to figure out how do we think through these frameworks and how can we evolve them more quickly than we've done in the past. We'd like to do really precise coordination and develop IC standards and policies, but we've got to find faster ways to do it. And we're actually thinking that automation can hopefully be part of the solution here, but that's still things that we're working out. Um, and as we said, and then it's all about the people on the talent go with it, that bringing in that talent and giving the opportunity to increase skills for existing workforce so that we have that data savvy workforce to manage that data, those data holdings, manage those tools and analytics. We're speaking with Nancy Morgan, the recently retired chief data officer for the intelligence community. I'm also joined by Justin Doubleday, the host of Inside the IC. We're going to take a short break, but we'll continue our conversation when we return. I'm Jory Heckman, and you're listening to All About Data on Federal News Network. Welcome back to All About Data. We're speaking with Nancy Morgan, the recently retired Chief Data Officer for the Intelligence Community. And to stay on that thread for a little bit more, the data-savvy workforce, it seems like hiring is just one element of building that workforce, but the other part of it is building the skills with the workforce you already have in place and upskilling them. I'm just curious, what employees are a good candidate to upskill? Like what are the underlying things that they possess that make them capable to take on more rigorous data work? So I think it's everywhere. And I think it's really interesting. If we think about, there might be some obvious, you know, occupation and skill categories to look at. But what I find is I never want to presume that someone doesn't have the ability to learn and grow in this space. And sometimes I find that the curious learners come from unexpected places. So something that we look for is who's been an interesting partner on a project or activity and sometimes give them a nudge and say, hey, have you thought about learning more or taking a little training or participating in a project with us? And we sometimes people say, oh, I'm not an IT person or I'm not a data person. I said, don't let the labels get in your way. Don't let that that slow you down. And we're really finding that some of the agencies have made digital learning platforms available to parts of their workforce. Really interesting to see who chooses it sort of a self-paced way to take on some of that content and it tends to be get wanting to learn more. And so that's what I, I get excited about with these curious learners is it's coming from all over. It's coming from sort of every occupation. And in some cases it might be human capital or diversity, equity, and inclusion people right now because they're dealing with responding to executive orders and helping us try and grow that more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workforce. It's coming from our CFO shops, uh, particularly strong partnership through the Federal CFO Council and the ICCFOs in terms of wanting to make those data-driven decisions with our business data holdings. 
it's coming in our analytic realm and our targeting realm. You have people who have a little bit of a bent for technology, wanting to learn more, getting the opportunity to be part of that cross-disciplinary team tends to breed the excitement. So I never presume, and in some cases, we've had some bold leadership from some of our senior officials who said, okay, this is not how I was raised, but I'll take a chance. And so they've taken a Python class or they've taken a class in something and gotten a little bit of the taste of it, and they want to see stronger data. So you're really seeing it happen in all different ways. I don't know that there's a single occupation or career group I would say we're targeting, but we're trying to look at that under the covers with OPM and through other councils to say, are there some obvious trajectories or paths? Certain people doing this kind of work tend to like this. So that's what we're looking to identify. And I think that's an area that'll be interesting to watch. And I'm curious through the federal CDO council what we find. You have just all sorts of pockets of greatness and wouldn't want to presume and really hoping that if we create for adult learners, digital learning platforms that you learn in a self-paced way, classroom opportunities, but I'm also a fan of hands-on activities. So hackathons, datathons, project teams, it's really that blend. So both classroom experience and practical hands-on experience that lead to transformations. Um, you know, in my own way, I was not an IT person at the beginning of my career. My bachelor's is in international relations and French, but my master's is in information systems. So I am proof positive that you can do that. Okay, a little rough that first semester of graduate school. Quantitative analysis late on Monday nights was a little rough for me because I didn't have the foundation in statistics, that kind of thing. But it's also things like even at every level of the organization, do you know how to do pivot tables in spreadsheets? Do you know how to look at a data visualization? Do you know how to read and understand the data and ask those smart questions about the data? So there are aspects of data acumen that all of us can do better learning and continuing to refresh our skills on at every level of the organization. And then, as we said, it, I'm really pushing on our legal teams, our policy teams, our acquisition teams saying, you are partners for success. I had a very interesting conversation with one of the general counsels in the community who said, do I need to send all of my lawyers to go get graduate degrees in computer science or data science? And do I need to send all of you computer types and data types to law school? And I said, probably not everybody going to both. But there are a subset of people who might benefit from that cross-training, but there is a subset of curriculum and concepts that we all need to take. So, for example, in the community, you're seeing a really strong focus on privacy and civil liberties. So there is foundational content that we all must take, sort of an intro-level course. But we're now finding we need more intermediate and advanced-level course content for privacy concepts for a whole variety of people across the community. So those are some of the kinds of initiatives that we're working on as a community. Yeah, and, and really quickly to follow up on that, I think another thing the IC is, is rolling out is a public-private talent exchange in the coming uh, weeks or months. You know, How are you hoping program can help fill some of the gaps? What, what do you think it will do for the IC in this data and AI space? Sure. So this is one I actually wear two hats right now related to this program. So I am the data champion for the data swim lane of the pilot program that I'll talk about in a minute. But I also wear a hat related to private sector partnerships within the ODNI. So helping position how we're going to make increase awareness, including uh, podcasts like this and conversations like this about making people aware about the opportunities. But let's talk a little bit about the overall program. So our public-private talent exchange is really about broadening the horizons of our workforce to ensure we're best postured to meet the needs of the IC. 
we need to leverage that full range of private sector partners to help us go further faster. So we're preparing to launch a pilot phase of the public-private talent exchange program to facilitate talent exchanges between IC officers and private sector entities. And so people tend to think of the private sector as industry and tech companies, but it's much broader than that. It's not just industry, it's academia, it's NGOs, it's labs, and so on. Expand developmental opportunities for our IC civilian personnel in the course of their careers, and in turn allow IC elements to gain firsthand insights into industry best practices and gain strategic insights from the view of the private sector partners who will work on site with us and allow private sector personnel to work directly in IC offices to understand the IC challenges, learn about our culture, and provide expertise to address those challenges. So under this program, an IC officer could serve at a private sector organization or a representative from a private sector entity could embed with one of our programs. We want to focus in the pilot phase on a couple of areas first because we've got to iron out some of the mechanics of doing this, but data management and data-related skills and AI and machine learning are two of the initial areas, along with economic security and financial management and space resiliency are two of the areas in the pilot phase we're considering, along with strategic workforce and human capital areas. These are all areas where we know the private sector has valuable expertise has amazing reach and is accelerating innovation. So how do we get to leverage that? It will also create opportunities for our officers to gain insights into the best practices in areas like enabling that are enabling such as human capital management, workforce shaping, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and reimagining acquisition processes to apply lessons learned to the IC. And the more I go around and speak about the possibility of PPTE, the more people come up to me with ideas we haven't even thought of, and I think it's happening to all the seniors when we're talking about the potential of this program. So launching the pilot is, is a bit complicated, working through some of the security issues, working through some of the acquisition and legal issues, but our goal is really to help intelligence officers and private sector colleagues better understand each other's mission, landscape, inject diverse thinking, and gain new insights, and really hopefully create a more two-way flow of talent, skills, and ideas. I don't know that people will have the same sort of trajectory of a career that's more only in the government or only in the private sector, I hope we'll see more two-way movement and more continuous movement over the time of someone's career. And again, selfishly for me, this helps us grow our digital data and cyber savvy workforce with real world experiences. What's different about working on data? And as I interact with CDOs across the country, not just in the IC and the federal CDO space, but in the commercial space, we share a lot of the same pain points and opportunities. So what's their trick for solving it? Or what's, what's the success program that they've had? We want to be able to leverage those capabilities. So I've been working with the CDO council to lay out for the data swim lane. What would we like those experiences to be like? How do we describe what we're looking for, not in government speak terms, so that our private sector partners will be excited to, to create opportunities? And in turn, asking the private sector partners to describe things that we think will make it exciting for our IC officers to want to go work in their organizations. Taking a little longer for us to get where we want to be with the program with COVID and working through some of the issues, but really excited to prepare for launching the pilot phase of this program. It's pretty great to hear that the Federal CDO Council is really helping be a big lift in this, uh, this effort here. And I think you've kind of described their role throughout many of these different lines of effort here, but just tell me a little bit more how that community of practice is really helpful in terms of all the things that a CDO interacts with. 
So I think for one thing, because CDOs or the organizations they're part of are in very different states of maturity on their data journey, one thing that we do through the Federal CDO Council, and we do it internally through the IC CDO Council, and I can also say confidently my DOD colleagues doing the same thing through the DOD CDO Council is providing information on where do you start as a CDO? What are the things you need to tackle? How do you get going on your data strategy? How do you think about data governance? So lots of us are developing playbooks and we're sharing those playbooks. We're doing things like sharing position descriptions. We're sharing things like, where did you find useful Quark's content? Who's the best partner to consider talking to about that? So I find that the CDOs, because some of the shops are quite small, are an incredibly collaborative bunch really willing to reach out. And they also, one thing they do for me is really have reach back into their department or agency, whether that's the IC or the federal CDO council, really great about doing that. So if you contact them about another topic or issue altogether, it might not be their swimlin, but they help you with that reach back. The federal CDO council is also with intent holding joint council meetings. So with the other councils, in fact, I think a May meeting coming up will be a cross council meeting yet again. We bring to the table, when you think about evidence-based decision-making, we call it data-driven, but also evidence-based, how can we leverage the work of other councils? And that's really had a powerful payoff and connecting more of the C-suite partners across different councils, getting to know each other. So really a collaborative bunch helping us do those things. But what you see is some of the departments and agencies, some IC elements are much more mature in their data journey than others. And so that's really where you have to help decipher where are they in the movie or where is there an opportunity. Sometimes there's just a target of opportunity. And so they want to jump to an activity, but maybe don't have the underpinnings. How can they reach out to another organization that can share what they're doing? We tend to share our data strategies with each other. Um, and in some cases, invite people to be on each other's teams writing the data strategies. So for example, for our IC data strategy, we actually had a core team that involved representatives from across the IC and the Defense Intelligence Enterprise, actually part of the core team. We with intent had a key member of the iSight strategy team on our core team, and one of my staff was on the iSight strategy rewrite team with intent to make sure these things hang together, and we are an active contributor to the federal CDO council artifact. So that's part of that team sport that we talk about and going faster together. It seems that this is not just a line of work that is data for data wonks, that this is really (laughs) the kind of thing that is beneficial for everyone at all levels of the workforce, whether you have a baseline proficiency in this or whether you're a data scientist, that it really seems to touch every mission, every job position in the IC. It absolutely does. Good. You, you got some of the, uh, the hidden messaging there. You know, our secret goal is to make everyone a, a, a secret data wonk that they didn't know they wanted to be. Really, that's what we're seeing is the power of data. The data is essential to everything we do in the IC on the mission side, on the business side, in every domain. I can't think of an intelligence threat or opportunity area that doesn't that you wouldn't want to leverage data. So how do we help make people more effective? One of the things I'm excited about is some of our workforce is saying, this is an opportunity for me to reshape my skills and have whole new paths to my career that I might not have thought of. That's really exciting to me. But I don't necessarily go in and sell saying, become a data scientist. And you're probably not going to become a data scientist in two weeks. Uh, People do some of the online content and say, oh, but I got a completion badge for this. Well, okay, but that doesn't mean you're a full-fledged data scientist yet. That might take several years of academic and work experience investment. 
But as you said, developing that data acumen at multiple levels and in multiple ways, you can grow your skills and knowledge and dimensions of data in different ways at different times. And so that's part of creating these learning pathways and that let people learn both by something that may be laid out for them and then also because of curiosity, where does it take them? And that's where I think we'll see some exciting growth and people finding out a new skill area or a new dimension of their career that they never even anticipated. And I think that can be very exciting. I don't think I could have predicted this many years ago that I would end my career in the federal government as the ICCDO. That's probably not something I thought of when I was first hired into the government, but really I've had an interesting trajectory of assignments that led to really having an involvement with data in so many different dimensions of my career in ways I don't think I even understood in the early part of my career, how much I was building a foundation related to data related things throughout my career. Um, one thing we talk about as CDOs, though, is what are some of the skills you need? It's not just the data geek skills and not just the STEM skills. It's also the engagement and collaboration skills. It's those communication skills. It's the analytic reasoning skills. And if you have that really great aha moment or insight that you derive from the data, how are you going to explain it to the other people? So I like to say it's teaching the IT and data people to speak human and teaching the non-technical and data people to be willing to interact with us and not think we're a different species from each other, but really excited about the power and possibilities of growing skills and in every facet of the organization across the intelligence community. And again, that was Nancy Morgan, who just retired as the intelligence community's chief data officer at the end of April. I want to thank Jory Heckman, host of All About Data, for joining me for this joint episode. I'm Justin Doubleday. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Inside the IC, sponsored by Microsoft Federal. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Inside the IC on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your shows.